Hi everybody, welcome to the Recovery and Relapse Overeaters Anonymous meeting. My name is Rita Q and today is the 15th of June 2021. I am very honoured today to introduce our speaker Nancy P. Nancy was born in Boston and has been in OA since 1971 and has been recovered since 2018 and I am going to hand it over to her now to explain her story. Take it away Nancy. Thank you, Rita. Thank you for asking me to speak. I'm delighted to be here. So yeah, my name is Nancy P. And I've been in OA since 1971. I was an infant. No, I was 11. And I'm 61. I just had my 61st birthday in February. And I celebrated my 50th 5-0 anniversary in Overeaters Anonymous in January of this year. Now, I before this morning, I get an email from somebody saying, oh, I don't know what to do. I wanted to talk to you. I, I, I'm not feeling it, basically. That's what she said, like in her email. And she wants to connect with me. So I said, yeah, we'll make a plan to do that. But I want to tell everybody that if you're not feeling it, so to speak, if you think that you can't get better, that's not right. I mean, you can think that, but you can get better because if it could happen to me, it can happen to anybody. I sat in these rooms for 47 years, almost five decades without being recovered. I mean, I had what I call thin months and fat years or even thin weeks and fat years because I was like a tennis ball. I'd get served, I'd go up, 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 up. And then I'd go down, 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 down. Then I'd bounce and then I'd be on my way back up again. And you know, I used to go to meetings and I would sit there jealous angry and resentful. All these other women were, oh, hi, kiss, kiss, hug, hug. Oh, saw you at the meeting. Yeah, let's go together next week. Yeah, I'll pick you up. Oh, I called you and missed you. Oh yeah, let's let's make a plan. You know, I never had that. And I, I my pedigree in Overeaters Anonymous is platinum. Let me tell you, I don't usually talk about this. You know, generally I don't, but this is a relapse to recovery meeting. So I'm gonna say this, my mother, in 1966, um, a woman from LA moved to Massachusetts all the way across the country where OA was like a big virgin forest. Nothing had ever been cut down. And she put an ad in the paper that said, can you not stop eating or something like that in the Framingham Middlesex News. And my mother answered that ad and she was the first one to answer the ad. So the, the two of them together got Overeaters Anonymous started on the, on the East Coast. And then like a fungus, it jumped to the UK, a little trickle here and there, and then all, all over. And I'm not saying that my mother did that, but she was like a rock star. And so, you know, in the Northeast, she was the, you know, the literature rep for the entire Northeast of the United States. She went on speaking every, like everywhere. She lost weight and kept her weight off for 33 years until she had a stroke. And then her, um, her brain damage, um, prevented her from, from staying away from the food. And I wanna say, I use that, I say that because I wanna make it, I wanna tell people that it's not a moral issue. We're Jewish and she didn't eat, she kept kosher, not didn't keep kosher, but she didn't eat certain foods. And even as with her stroke, even with the brain damage, she wouldn't touch those foods, but, but you know, like she wouldn't eat pork, for example, but she couldn't stay away from the sugar. So that illustrated to me that it's not a moral issue. She didn't do those things. She didn't eat that way because she was bad or because she was immoral. She ate those that way because she was sick, because she had a kink in her brain. Like if you water your garden and the hose get, gets kinked, the water gets cut off. That's what happened. That's what, she, that's what her brain was like because she didn't practice the principles after she got sick. And unfortunately she lived for 10 years like that. 
Um, she had her stroke and she weighed 121 pounds. When she died, she weighed over 200 pounds. And she couldn't help it. She didn't understand. And um, so I knew that it wasn't a moral issue. And I got to tell you that I knew that I was a compulsive overeater, but I didn't actually believe it. If you can imagine that. I mean, I guess if this is a relapse to recovery, probably all of you, all of us can imagine that because we've all lived that, right? We know we've got this problem, but somehow we don't believe it. And in the book, in the big book, it talks about stuff like the old threadbare idea that this time it's going to be different. I love that word threadbare because it reminds me, you know, when I clean out my closet, I'm going to say this closet's choked. I'm going to get rid of all my old clothes. Then I'll find something that I used to love and it's got a stain on it, a hole in it. It's ripped. It's out of style. And I'll shake it out and say, I can definitely make this work. This is definitely going to be a, a big, a, you know, a working piece of my wardrobe. I mean, you know, obviously not. If you hear my cat, she's shrieking. She has a toy and she likes everyone to know. Anyways, um, um, so, you know, that's what my threadbare idea was that I somehow in spite of all of the evidence in front of me was not actually a compulsive vote. I didn't believe it, even though the evidence was, there was a massive amount of it to say, yes, Nancy, you are a compulsive vote reader. And, and, you know, my whole life was, you know, when I was of the three of my parents' children, I'm the youngest and I'm, I was the least affected weight wise by the disease in spite of the fact that at my top weight, I was over 200 pounds and I'm only five, one and a half. So I'm, I'm pretty short. And, um, and I, you know, but I was, you know, 50 pounds on me looks like a hundred on somebody else. Um, and, you know, I, I always looked at this. I always treated it topically. You know, like if I have dry skin, I put cream on the skin on top. What I need, if I have a special kind of dry skin, I need to take a pill like eczema or something. I need to take a pill to treat it systemically. The problem with overeaters, not with being a compulsive overeater is I need cream for my brain. Like there's no topical solution. I can buy a scale from NASA and I can weigh a single speck of dust and it's not gonna help me. You cannot weigh and measure your way out of this problem or at least I could or not. And I, you know, it talks about here are some of the methods we tried. And my methods were more meetings, fewer meetings, different meetings, weigh and measure, don't weigh and measure, eat this, don't eat that, eat that, don't eat this, eat sugar, don't eat sugar, eat flour, don't eat flour, you know, moderate meals, you know. And um, my own particular favorite was get an additional sponsor. I have what I call a real sponsor and I've talked to her on the phone five days a week for 35 years since before I got married. And, um, but she loved me, but couldn't help me. And, you know, I had catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe. And I'm not saying back to back. It's not like I came out of one, you know, went few and then immediately went into another, but my personality got me into all kinds of trouble. I'll give you one example. When I was in high school, I got in a car accident every weekend for two months. And I totaled each of my parents' cars twice in two months. Nothing wrong here, as far as I was concerned. Well, I don't know what the problem is, you know, just a bad, you know, luck. I mean, I'm rolling my eyes massively, but, um, but that's like, that's one thing that like, I didn't see anything wrong with that. I got um, suspended my last day of high school. I got caught smoking pot on school property. I had already been accepted to university pending continuation of good grades. And I got zeros on, I would have gotten zeros on all of my finals. And my math teacher was the only one that wouldn't cut me any slack. And I think that's the only reason that I was able to go to college. And then in college, it was another disaster, you know, just one disaster after another. I mean, I, I graduated and I did well academically, but I just, I was thinking about this the other day, my brother and sister went to the same university as me. 
and there was a, some sort of a drive for memories that you can share with other people. And they each had a memory that they talked about from their college experience that meant something to them that I read and, and I said, oh yeah, you know, that I can see where that would be special to them. I had nothing like that because my time at school was spent, my time at university was spent eating, drinking, taking drugs and having sex. That's all that I did because I needed all of those things in different amounts at different times to make me feel okay. I couldn't, I was petrified um, of, of um, you know, not doing any of that. And I can tell you that I went off to, to university freshly, I call it being dry cleaned. I'd come off of a pay and way, even, while that, even though I was in OA, I had gone to a pay and way diet workshop. So I, you know, it was like, I come from the dry cleaner with one of those plastic bags, you know, and I took the plastic bag off and went off to college. And they call it the freshman 10 because, you know, it's kind of bulky food and, you know, there's a lot of, you know, my mother wasn't weighing and measuring my food for me. And, and um, so I gained a lot of weight, maybe 20 or 25 pounds. And, um, you know, that was it. And for the rest of my school, I tried to go to OA up in where I went to school, which it was, the program there was fine. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was fine. There was, there were meetings, but I couldn't, I needed my, I needed all my drugs. I needed my my pot and my food, my sugar. And, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And when I, when I was graduating from high from college, I, um, I decided that I had to quit smoking because I was in debt. And back then cigarettes were 80 cents a pack. <laughs> I don't know what they are today, but they were, it was plenty expensive for me then. And I thought, okay, if I, if I quit smoking and I just eat, you know, like almost nothing, I'll only have to ask my dad for this much money. Now my parents paid for my university, my college, but they weren't wealthy. My mother was a public health nurse and my dad was like a, a, a you know, information systems guy. Like they didn't make a lot of money. And my dad gave me, wrote me a check and said, here's the money, I'm charging you 10% compounded interest. And if this ever happens again, you can take care of it yourself even if you have to go to jail. And he was right to say that because I had no respect. I was so self-centered. I had no respect for their, their scrimping and their saving. They never took a vacation. They drove crappy cars. They, you know, they, they scrimped and they saved so that we could graduate from college debt-free. And, um, and we didn't have to get jobs while we were at school. We got jobs in the summer, but you know, like that was, that was terrible that I did that. And I was like, I don't know why he's so mad. You know, like that's what I, you know, today I know why he was so mad. I have kids of my own that try me, but um, you know, life went on. And I, you know, so then at the, you know, at the end of my senior year, I called my mother and I said, I can't stop eating. It was that statement is the most private thing in, that I have ever said to anybody. And I've said it several times um, and, you know, God bless her. She came out, I, I lived um, about 90 minutes from where my school was. And she came out there with a big book, a scale and some food. And she, um, she didn't say anything about my, my disaster of an apartment with, you know, empty bottles, you know, pizza boxes, you know, like cigarette butts everywhere. She didn't say anything about that. She um, weighed and measured, you know, helped me weigh and measure some meals out. And she drove with a meeting list and she drove me around town so that I could see where the meetings were. And that's what she did for me. And that worked until the food ran out and then I was off and running again. And when I graduated, I was 185 pounds and I had to get a job. Well, I can tell you that nobody wanted to hire, hire somebody like that. I didn't have a technical degree. I had a human, degree in the humanities. So I was sort of like, 
going to try to get some job like where I could translate the skills. And um, it took me a year to get a job. And I had three terrible jobs. I, I worked in a, um, like in a, as an office clerk for a collections agency. Like if you're in debt, the people that call you up and say, pay these bills or we're going to come and get you. I worked there. And um, I worked in a hardware store, like the precursor to Home Depot. I worked in a big box hardware store. And then I had a, I was a hostess at a restaurant on, um, in the evenings. And, um, and I, as I will say this as a hostess in the restaurant, um, I got more complaints from customers about how rude I was. And this is the one, this is the person that's supposed to be welcoming saying, hi, welcome to whatever the place is. You know, how many people in your party? Sure, let me, let me see you. You know, I, I got complaints in writing about how rude I was. I also um, had one night was working late closing and there was a bartender and the manager and, and me and um, they all mixed up martinis and we all had sex in the, in the bar. Um, I was the only girl. So that was like, you know, gives you an idea of like how out of control I was. I don't, gosh, I've never told anybody that before. So anyways, good thing it's an anonymous program. But anyways, um, you know, like I was completely out of control. And so, you know, my, I said, you know, again, I asked my mother for help and, you know, and so, so she, you know, I lived at home. She weighed and measured all my meals, packed my lunch and I lost weight. And I kept it off. I, lo I lost weight. I don't know how long it took me, maybe six or eight months or five or six or seven months, something like that. And um, I lost all my weight and I was thin and beautiful. And um, I was, you know, going to get a job. And I, I did end up getting a full-time job, which I then got fired from. Um, they let me go. It was a um, sales position and in a, for, a, um, for a big company. And it wasn't working out. So they let me go. And so then I got another job and that one took and I had kept that job. But, um, you know, I had, I was, there was someone there that was a problem and she was a problem. I, I don't want to say that it was all me, but I definitely didn't do anything to help the situation. And, you know, I went on and on. I managed, I, I say I managed, I really feel like I'm not really a big believer in God. I'm very agnostic, but um, I did manage to connect with a guy that the one that I married that, um, has more integrity in his little pinky fingernail than I could ever hope to have. Because left to my own devices, and this is in Overeaters Anonymous, not eating sugar and flour, just with abstinence, no other recovery. My two longest, most significant relationships were one was with a convicted felon that was on parole from a maximum security prison in Florida for drugs, two counts, 25 and five. And the other one was with a guy that was for sure gonna hit me. And I thought those were okay. And that was my best thinking. That was my best thinking in a thin body with only abstinence and no, and no other recovery. And that's why today I say, if abstinence was all that I got, I absolutely would take it and run like a thief. But it is the least significant of the things that I've gotten. It is the least of the riches that I have been given because I decided finally the magic word for Nancy P is surrender. I mean, all those things that I told you about, all those horrible, you know, disasters with the driving and the, you know, all kinds of that, the, you know, the sex and the drugs and all that, all that um, was just, I was just going to get more of the same, more of the same, more of the same, more of the same. And I'd always power through, either write a check or dig my heels in or get a new job or get a new guy or whatever it was. And, um, you know, when I think about my husband and how amazing he is. He's a wonderful provider. He's a wonderful father. He's, you know, he's not perfect, but he's perfect for me. And um, I am so lucky 
so I'll fast forward then to like all that, more of the same, more of the same, more of the same, until I have two children and my younger child, my I have an older boy and a younger girl. And um, my daughter, when she was about 14, started cutting and burning herself. And I was just, you know, I understood about smoking pot or taking drugs or, or other drugs or eating or having, you know, going, hooking up with guys. I understood that, but I did not understand hacking yourself up with a razor blade. I didn't understand that. But if you take out food and compulsive overeating and you put in cutting and self-harm, there she is. She's a size four, but there she is. And um, uh, she, you know, I was just howling with fear and pain and rage. And I would go to meetings and I would eat on the way there, on the way back. I would, I would, I worked six um, miles away from where I lived and I had to stop twice on the way to work to get food. I could not stop eating and I couldn't eat fast enough to get in front of those feelings. And um, so um, anyways, she just walked in, but anyway, so, um, so, you know, I was in my car one day and I was sobbing you know, waiting to pick up my kids from school. And I was sobbing and I was sobbing because I had just eaten a dozen donuts. And I was sobbing also because I had done the same thing the day before and the day before and the day before. And I knew I was gonna do the same thing the day after and the day after and the day after. And I really feel like, again, very agnostic here, but I really feel like whatever the power is that, that saved me was out having coffee with all the other powers and said, you know what? I think this one's had enough. I think I'm gonna pluck her back from the gates of death and put her on the right path. And I, I picked up my phone and I called a friend that I've known for 40 years, who's my good friend. And she said, Nancy, I haven't talked to you in so long. And I said, well, I hope we're still friends. She goes, you must be calling you know, about this other meeting that she told me about. And I said, well, and she goes, let me tell you about it. And um, I burst into tears and she said, what happened? What is it? What is it? And I told her everything that was going on, every, like a thumbnail sketch of everything that I told you just now. And, and the last thing that I said again was the most private, intimate thing, which was, and I can't stop eating. And she didn't say anything about that. She just said, I haven't picked up in four and a half years. And her, her husband had died. You know, she had lived through that and she had, she had had some other significant things happen to her in her life. And, um, you know, I finally stopped. Now I say surrender, but Nancy P can never do anything just to do it. I have to do things in small little steps to make sure that I wanna make sure that I don't wanna go back and eat. And so um, I can say that's, I surrendered, I stopped. I stopped eating, I stopped arguing, I stopped crying, I stopped thinking, and especially I stopped talking. And, um, and I dialed into this meeting and I, listened and I heard recovery and um, I surrendered. But my surrender was not operational. It's like I, I lugged it around with me. It's like I had a big flat screen TV, bulky, but not too heavy. And I was like dragging it here, dragging it there. And it wasn't until I will read you all the pages that are of significance to me. Oh, here, I opened right up to this page, page 52. It says, when we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance upon the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Mm. I'm sort of iffy on that, but here's the sentence. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. And that is step two. And I have a note here for myself. It worked for them. Maybe it can work for me. And so, you know, again, when I'm going through the steps, when I, when I was sitting in my car crying, that was like on page eight of Bill's story. I know the paragraph by heart. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I felt in that bitter morass of self-pity. 
quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. That was my bottom. And then, you know, I went on and as I'm, you know, I dialed into this meeting, I got a sponsor and going through the steps. And then on page 28, which is another like excellent page, it says, um, what seemed at first to be a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. Again, me, the agnostic, I switched that to a design for living that really works. So how I read that today is what seemed at first to be a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of a design for living that really works. And then just below that, it says, there's a multitude of ways in which men have discovered God. Now, you know, I got to tell you that I tried between 1971 and 2017 when I, when I, started to get better. I tried to believe in God, you know, I, it says you choose your own conception. And I'd be like, okay, I think I'll have nature be my higher power. Yeah, and nature, I like the ocean, or I like the mountains, or I like whales, or, you know, I like elephants, I, I like, I'll have nature be my higher power. But you know, faith without works is dead. I might as well have said, I think I'll have this book be my higher power, or this phone, or this, my shoe, you know, it didn't work, but it does say just below that there's a multitude of ways in which men have discovered this. So there are no rules on that. And I began to think, okay, you know, okay. And it says faith can be acquired. And so I really, today I believe that I could probably get it on Amazon. Like it can be acquired. It does not have to be grown within me because that was, I, I'm not like a desert. I can't grow anything. And it says, and then this other thing is, those having religious affiliations will find here nothing disturbing to their beliefs or ceremonies. There is no friction among us over such matters. And I will also say those with no religious affiliations or no beliefs, because that's me. I have, there's no argument. I mean, I sponsor Orthodox Jews. I, um, I regularly speak with fundamentalist Christians that, you know, and, and to, the, to a single one, whenever they talk to me, they say, well, what about God? And I'm like, well, what about it? And well, what do you think? And, you know, I can say that religion is a convenient path, but it's not the only one. If I want, I live in Boston. If I want to go to New York City, it's straight down Route 95, 200 miles. I can be there in four hours. Or I could go north to Maine and then go down and be there in maybe 12 hours. Or I could fly to LA or I could go to China. It doesn't say as long as I want to go to New York, if I have to be there by Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, as long as I get there at the time that I need to be there, who cares? That's what I say. So like when I say surrender, I just, you know, my surrender became operational when I, when I realized that maybe it would work for me, this idea, maybe it would work for me. Now I'm going to jump ahead to we agnostics because this to me is the, I must be getting sort of close-ish, so I'm going to try to speed up a little bit. On page 47 of we agnostics, at the top of the page, it says, when therefore we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. This applies too to other spiritual expressions which you find in this book. I have that highlighted. I got this book as a gift from my parents in 1979. So I've had it for a long time. And I somehow, I, even though it's highlighted, I've never actually read it. And I don't really, if I had to pick a bone about anything, I don't think that they spend enough time telling people that they can pick their own conception. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know, I'm not, you know, I thought to be spiritual, to have a spiritual recovery, that I had to be a Bible thumping zealot, foaming at the mouth, writhing on the floor, having, speaking in tongues at some tent revival in Alabama, no offense to Alabamians. Um, and that's not what happened at all. What happened was I needed to shut up and use my ears twice as much as my mouth. 
So I only have to ask what these things mean to me. And then I can commence spiritual growth to affect, you know, to affect myself. And it says afterward, we found ourselves accepting many things. So afterward means to me after step 11, not after this page or not after this step. You know, if we wish to grow, we had to begin somewhere. So we used our own conception, however limited, or in my case, unlimited. I don't find, as soon as I try to define this higher power thing, I get like, nervous and I'm like, well, I don't know. And, you know, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. My sponsor said, I have to decide what do I want God to be and what do I want God to do for me? And I first, for the first time I said to myself, all right, Nancy, what do you want? And I thought I'm going to throw away everything I've ever heard, thought, imagined, was taught, was near, said, wrote, read anything about God and throw it all away and, and decide for myself. And I said, okay, what do I want? And I said, first thing, not God. Don't like that word, doesn't make me feel serene. It just makes me feel burdened. So, okay, check. Second thing, no needs. I wasn't raised that way. It doesn't make me feel comfortable. I'm getting a little arthritis. It doesn't make me feel closer to anything but the floor and I don't need to be down there. Okay, check. That's two things that I don't want. What can I embrace? And I really thought about it and I thought I can embrace trust and I can embrace dignity and dependability and compassion, honesty, friendliness, love, integrity, you know, and I started to go on like that. It was like I was building a swing set and every once in a while I'd jump on it and it continued to hold my weight. And then, you know, I sort of ran out of things, but I knew that I could somehow think of other things. So like any good direct marketer, I said, and anything else that I ever think of that I want to add or subtract, I can do that at any time because Who's going to arrest me? The higher power police. So, you know, I had my, you know, I had it defined. And what do I want it to do for me? And then I was thinking, okay, I'm still in my thought process here. And then I thought I'm exhausted. The shortest thing to do is say, make me into those things. And thus was my cornerstone set in place and no later vicissitude has shaken it. And it's not that I wasn't honest and have integrity and dependability and all that, but I wasn't consistently so excuse me, consistently so, or to enough of a degree to be useful to other people or to myself. And um, that today is what my work is, is to do that. And, you know, they say that God will solve your problems. And I agree, or whatever you decide, in my case, not that, not God. But, um, you know, I can say that all of my problems have been solved. And there is not a single one that, um, that hasn't been solved. I've binged my brains up because I dinged my manicure and I couldn't eat fast enough when I was going through that family catastrophe that I mentioned. And, um, and today I don't eat no matter what. I just don't eat. The problem has been removed. It does not exist for me, just like what the book says. And how did I get there? I got there first by surrender. And then it was like, I think of myself as like a riverbed and my life is the water that flows over it. So if I don't like something, I mean, sometimes the water that flows over me is sweet and clear and cold and fresh. And sometimes there's noxious chemicals in it. Sometimes there's trash and boots and tires. And, and sometimes there's natural trash that rivers need to clean themselves like grass and branches and leaves. That's how rivers clean themselves. They go into the rivers and they, they clean the water. And so, so some, but sometimes it's not that comfortable. And, you know, I, I'm not into prayer because I don't know how to do it and I don't know who answers and whatever it is and I can never think of it and I all think they're all dumb. And so I said, all right, I need a prayer that will work. So I have a prayer. Yeah, so you have three minutes. Okay, this is good. I'm going to wrap up. Um, my prayer is only a few words. And here it is. I don't like this. I don't want things to be this way. 
And the answer that I get without fail is, I know, but I've got your back. And that lets me relax. I mean, I couldn't have a spiritual experience. I couldn't do that. Instead, what Nancy P had to do was I had to awaken spiritually. And so, so that I could have spiritual experience. I mean, I can't go to college without a high school diploma. So I got that. So I can't, you know, every, I wanted to start at the end and backfill all that stuff. Please just make me thin and serene. And I promise I'll do that other stuff that I, that all the icky things like the fourth step and the fifth step and the ninth step and the eighth step and all that. Just, just get me thin and serene. I promise I'll do all the other stuff. That's not how it works. I had to go through it just like everybody else. And just like everybody else, you have to go through it just like I did. We all have to do it. I mean, that's, there's no shortcut. There's no, there's no, you can't game the system. Cannot game the system. Trust me, I tried for a really long time. And, um, and it didn't ever work ever once, not even a little. And so today, the only thing, I don't really worry about anything. I make, I do everything every day, especially it says starting in the first page of the doctor's opinion, I will wrap up and the, and the first sentence of the seventh chapter working with others, nothing so much ensures immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. That means nothing. The five words that Nancy P thinks are important are absolute, entire, complete, nothing and utter because they don't leave any wiggle room. Willingness never got me anywhere because some days I was willing, some days I wasn't. When I was desperate, that's when things started to move. So today, the only thing that I think about or care about is how awake am I spiritually and how healthy is my surrender? Surrender, surrender, surrender. Um, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much for letting me speak. Nancy P, thank you so, so much for all your experience, strength and hope.